With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are. It's one of those things that we can control a lot in Web3, except for the time zones. So that's why we do the recordings. Uh, I'm here today with uh, Rob. Uh, Rob's a, a Y Whale and YPO member, so we'll go ahead and preface with that. But more importantly, he's here to talk about Burst IQ, which I... At, I know nothing about. So I'm excited to learn about it with you guys um, and really kind of diving into the overall architecture of, of what they've been able to do. Um, but let's take a quick second. And, and, and Rob, do you want to, you know, let's start with kind of where you came from and everything kind of prior to, uh, to Burst IQ and really your first exposure to the blockchain and what got you to be so excited about this technology. Perfect. So yeah, so thanks for having me today. Um, so I come from a really varied background um, throughout my career, everything from marketing and advertising to the dot-com world back in the heyday and, and two successful exits out of that. Um, I then made a leap into real estate development and uh, did, did a lot of property, did a lot of um, development over in Hawaii, um, commuted from Denver for about 10 years. Um, then at that, when that chapter closed, I, I ended up running a toy company, um, educational toys um, kind of tinker toy on steroids. If you're, if you remember that those toys from way back <laughs> when, um, and did that for about five or five or so years. And then about three years ago, I was trying to figure out kind of, I, I, I wanted to get out of the toy business. The, the, the CPG retail was just, it was brutal. I mean, it was a great, great chapter of my life. I never want to go back. Um, and I was kind of figuring out what I want to do next. And I knew I wanted to get back into technology and, and ended up, um, with the, with where I am burst IQ, um, today. And I've had kind of in and out of, of crypto investing. I, I mean, I've, I've invested in crypto for probably the last uh, four, three to four years. Um, definitely had some some ups and downs throughout the throughout the whole journey. I would not say I'm a, a huge investor. I would say I'm a, a partial part part time investor. Um, however, one of my more successful investments was the recommendation from my 13 year old son who told me to put money into Shiba Inu. And then told me when to get out of Shiba Inu when we doubled our money. So, you know, I'm going to listen to him. I, I think I may try to give up on doing this stuff on my own and just listen to my 13-year-old son going on. I, that's, hey, now. listen, don't worry. My, my 14-year-old did the same thing. We did very well on Doge and uh, a little, you know, okay on Sheep. So it's, yeah. it is absolutely one of those things where this younger generation is just, you know, so keyed into to metrics of which that are hard to track. What was your what was your first you know when you first kind of saw a blockchain was it was it Bitcoin that brought you into it because you know three four years ago Ethereum was in play and there was a number of other coins as well. It was primarily Bitcoin and then I kind of I was watching Ethereum a lot just as the other kind of big player out there. So those were kind of the two catalysts to to bring me in. And then you know I still feel like I'm behind on the times a little bit. I don't I, I've been so busy I've not been following the the latest and greatest which I probably need to spend more time doing. Uh, but those those were the two. I still track them, and I'm, I'm kind of watching everything else along the uh, somewhat. I mean, actively in some things, but on the sidelines of others right now, just because I don't have the time to really commit to, to really do this right, and so I'm, I'm playing a little cautious right now. Which is totally understandable, especially in this, like, are we in a crypto winter? Are we not in crypto winter? You know, what, what's happening? There's there's so much about regulation, but. You know, Burst IQ is is, in, and I want to kind of dive into that real quick. Um, you're you're not you're not a coin, <laughs> so no. there, there's there's quite a bit there. So so give us that elevator pitch um, of of kind of what 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 you're building, and then we'll go from there. Perfect. So so Burst IQ is kind of is kind of an innovative concept, and we've been around for a while. So we've been around since 2015, and we've been had an operational service since 2017. And we have built what we call the LifeGraph Network, and I'll explain that in a minute. But we, um, we've built a global data exchange platform. We purpose-built it from the ground up. We, have, we use a lot of blockchain methodology, but we really purpose-built it and designed the features and functionality to focus on healthcare and healthcare-related data. Um, we just, we have a, I mean, the founding team has an extensive background in, in healthcare and revenue cycle management and and really we're tired of, of identities and stuff getting stolen. It's like, let's, let's, let's look at this and see how we can kind of really make a change in the healthcare. And 
you know, healthcare is unique and is a unique environment. Number one, the healthcare data they're saying now is seven times more valuable than financial data in the in the in, in the marketplace for for people for theft and everything else for breaches. Um, and if if you look at actually healthcare, we're I mean. The actual technology is probably 10 or 20 years behind where it should be, given everything else going on in the world. And so, you know, when the company was founded, we, we looked at Hyperledger and Ethereum and, and thought, you know, these are great step forward. And, and as you know, those platforms were never designed to actually store the data on chain or in the blocks themselves. And so we kind of turned a little things a little bit upside down and we, we designed our platform and we're really a back end enablement platform. That's where we really focused. So all things on the, on the back end and data side is, you know, let's build a platform, let's build a platform, but we actually are storing data in the blocks on the chain themselves. So it creates some really unique features that are, that are supporting kind of where we're seeing healthcare is today. And more importantly, where we hope to see healthcare data go in the future. And, you know, there, there's four kind of really unique aspects that, that this enables. Number one, uh, security that combines the best of breeds from both traditional databases and blockchain methodology to create a level of security that, that's, that's hard to surpass with today's technology. Um, number two, you know, we create what we call these smart data objects. So we have the data and then we have the metadata, the ownership data, the consent data all around this. And so we, we can assign ownership of data down to an individual data object and we can have both single and multi-party owners, where in the healthcare world, that can be really important. So think, for an example, think if I'm a patient and I go get a blood test, I can be part of that data, the, the provider that ordered be part of the data, the lab that ran it be part of the data, and the payer that reimbursed it can all be part owner of some of those data elements. But there are, there's a lot of combination between everything. So we can keep everything in one platform, but give that access rights and ownership privileges based on which elements each owner needs to have access to. So the payer and the provider can see the financial impact. I can see my lab results. But we also need to be able to control what can be done to the data. When a traditional database, the data owner can read, write, delete, update, whatever they want to do. But in this case, if I'm a patient, although I'd love to go lower my cholesterol score because it's my data, unfortunately, we got to prevent that from happening. So we also have kind of custodial rights of, of what can be done with that data. So that's ownership. And we, we're seeing more of that kind of go in the future around healthcare data. Now, the third kind of aspect is how do you share data in a controlled, compliant, governed environment? We're seeing more, more and more use cases where um, both sharing data within organizations, but more importantly, sharing healthcare data outside organizations to create kind of new things, whether it's value-based care, outcome-based contract, contracting, or even just digital front doors for patients to have more access. So um, we, our backend system can, can enable that entire process from at the base level of consent contract, which everyone knows about in this world. Um, ours is a little bit different in nature is ours are also very granular in nature. So a data owner can consent one data object. They can consent an entire petabyte scale data set or be very selective which data elements they want to select. And we can also put out automatic expiration on that, um, depending on how long they want to consent that data for. And then since we're dealing with healthcare data, we also are able to codify any type of organization requirements, governance requirements, compliance requirements, to ensure that the data is being uh, flowing the way it needs to be. Whether it's um, um, who has access to personal health information or personal identifiable information or not. Um, we're also a HIPAA, compliant platform, of course, since we're dealing with, uh, with healthcare data, we live and breathe that. And then the, then the top layer is really what, the LifeGraph network. So a LifeGraph in our world is a digital DNA or a digital footprint of a person, place, or thing. The person could be a patient, the thing could be an IoT device or wearable, it doesn't really matter. And we're able to virtually aggregate different data sources, and they can be any data source or any data type. And so when you're looking down, it looks like a virtual data warehouse. Um, where all the data is in there, we can connect data um, to, to match, and that's the life graph. But when you peel back the covers, each entity or, or organization that's that's contributing data, whether it's a payer, provider, or lab, it doesn't matter, can 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 kind of put data in the system in their own secure data zone. So they still they still retain ownership and custodial control of their own data under the covers. But once again, looking down, it can be combined virtually depending on how consents are done and, and how data sharing mechanisms are all facilitated. And that kind of foundation of that life graph is a really strong platform for running analytics, like through Power BI or Tableau, 
or the RSS on the scientific side, or even more importantly, for for our partners who want to do kind of an ML or AI um, algorithms on top of that, it just creates a much stronger uh, platform to enable those kind of features and functionalities. You, you know, Robert, I, I'm so sorry that you're bored and you need something to do. Um, th- this is this is really interesting. So, so I want to dive in and, and really start separating a little bit of the Web two and the Web three parts of this because because clearly, um, you know, the blockchain is great, but it's it's not, you know unchangeable. And some of this data, you know, you want people to have access, then not have access, and, and so everything else. So, can you talk a little bit about um, let's let's start with the blockchain that you guys are using, the technology there, um, and then let's let's kind of flow into where the Web two or Web 2.5-ish features of how you're making this happen because it's extremely intriguing and complicated. Yeah, so as I mentioned before, we didn't use any off-the-shelf platforms. We didn't use Ethereum or Hyperledger or anything like that. So we built ours from the ground up. Um, It's a modified proof of stake. So it is a private permission network because it has to be for HIPAA requirements and and healthcare requirements. And, and, And we've really just continued to evolve this over time. And so, you know, and, and just real quick, you when you say built from the ground up, you literally started with blank code, and and you didn't you didn't fork a, another chain, so it's entirely. That yep, that is correct. I, I would love well, put a note, and I'd love to uh, talk about the dev team that did that later because that's amazing. Perfect. So yeah, going. and if you want to get really crazy, I'll bring in our CTO who can, oh, who can take it to a whole right other level that I'm able to do it. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, just we really wanted to kind of break the code on, on healthcare data. And that's why we, we didn't feel like there was any fork, anything we could do to really suffice the requirements of where we're seeing, seeing that the future of, of requirements and needs. And, you know, it, it's interesting. So you talk web to 2.5, 3.0. And, and, you know, the cool thing about, in, in our opinion, is 3.0 is, is, is kind of hits on our button about data ownership. Um, and that's what we're really trying to push. You know, we're, we're trying to democratize data and put more power into the patient's hands about how their data is used and controlled. I mean, as you know, you know, there's many companies out there that are, that are, that are most of their monetization is based on reselling your data, whether it's Facebook and the social media marketplace, whether it's 23andMe who's selling all the omic data. And, and, you know, we, we want to put, we want to put the control back in the patient's hands and, so we're excited that kind of the evolution of Web three is starting to facilitate and enable this in kind of a in, in kind of a multi longitudinal direction to really help push this and and you know our one of the one of the things that we designed our platform is that specific aspect and this is everything I've talked about is currently on our platform we're selling today this is one feature that that's on our roadmap but as we talked about before healthcare data is extremely valuable and I mean. And especially for, for research purposes. And I mean, everybody from pharmas and governments want access to this data. And so what we're able to do on our platform is, is, is open up. So let's say we have a client that's got a million patients on their platform and they've got everything from OMIC data to clinical data to behavior, whatever, whatever the case may be. And let's say a pharma wants to do a research study on a, on a new therapeutic. So they could access or they, they can look at the database and just get a high level query. It's like, Hey, of your million, of a million patients, there are 20,000 that we would love to get access to of that data. Now, as long as those 20,000 20, patients have consented to the use of their data, because we have to follow all the guidelines, we can actually do a, we will, we will be able to do a monetization waterfall. So basically any patient that, that their data gets touched for this research can be directly compensated for the use of their data. Um, whether it's fiat currency or cryptocurrency, we're still kind of working on, but we'll have different options around that. So, you know, we just we, we want to shift the the shift that curve and 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 allow. I mean, it's it for patient. I mean, in the end, patients to own and control and monetize their own data. Now, we're not our our goal is not to build the application to facilitate this. We're a back end, so we partner with companies that are doing this, or partnering with the farmers that are doing this. Um, but that's kind of the vision of, of Burst IQ. So when when a patient you know is is going from you know doctor's office to doctor's office, who who's tying in this 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 data? Is it the doctor's office and the and the lab techs, or do they have to take their data and and feed it into your system? So there's a couple ways to do this, and you know historically, um, before kind of Burst IQ, there was a couple ways to do this, and not, neither of them were worked very well in our opinion. Number one. They would hand data back and forth to each other and, and hope that the other partner would, would handle the data they want. 
or you create these spaghetti networks and try to connect everyone together, which as you probably know, are not very scalable and they're really difficult to manage. So because we can find that ownership and that ownership is in all this data can be in the same virtual network. We're able to connect the lab and the provider and whomever else. And our clients are most likely, most typically our clients are building the solution. We can help with the integrations and the connection points. But it could be as simple as the partners kind of ingesting a CSV file into the platform where we can do direct connect through its HL7 or there's other technologies in the healthcare world. Fire is a new one that's that's evolving. But in an ideal world, they connect directly to the Burst IQ platform. And it's really our client's platform. It's really kind of a powered by Burst IQ, kind of like an Intel philosophy. And once that data is in there, then there's a direct feed. Then the, the, each party can, can consent the data they need to, where they can say, hey, if there's a commonality of a patient, we consent that data to build that life graph of a patient. And then we can add more and more. There could be three organizations of the organ system. There could be 3,000 organizations of the organ system. and can all be connected together to build that life graph of that, of that person or patient. So it's a, it's a way more, it's a much more real-time, scalable, kind of big data solution around where we need to go as a, as a country. Yeah, I mean, I, I entirely see the concept behind it, and and the use case and the logic behind it. The, the number of times, I mean, just uh, my my fourteen year old, we were just talking right before we started. Um, he got a concussion in lacrosse the other day, and you know, there's there's protocols, there's all these things. Just the coordination of of getting that data to the school nurse required fax machines, of which I didn't even know those things still existed, <laughs> and and some other really like arbitrary technology where it's just like, look, the kid can't go to school. He's got some problems. Like th- This should take us an hour to solve, and it required physically driving around and collecting data and signatures and dropping things off. And and so I, I entirely see you know the, the benefits of this chain. And, and, the, and to be clear, something like that concussion needs to live in his files and be something relevant that every other doctor that sees him for the rest of his life knows for a variety of reasons. So what's, what's been kind of, you know, big, um, big, big medical or what, what's been their take on this? Cause I'm sure you've, you've had a number of, uh, you know, executives kind of like be perplexed by the, the concept of this. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely kind of an old school thought and, and new school thought and, and, it just depends on who you're talking to. Um, I think overall, I think people that our world understands what the concept is and where it needs to go to really help facilitate what you were describing. And, and in the best case world, your son would have an app on his phone and all his page, all the, all his medical data is in there. And if he's got to see the nurse, he pushes the button. It's like, I'm going to share this with my nurse. So, so she can see what's going on or see a specialist. And, and although, you know, a lot of these, it's hard, you know. Payers make a lot of money on on denials of claims, and and a lot of providers don't want to share everything because they feel like it's proprietary. But I feel like as a world, we are we are finally taking small steps and heading in the direction where there's more kind of uniformity and consensus to to understand this is where we need to go. And and quite honestly, you know, I hate to even bring up COVID right now, but I'm going to bring up COVID for a second. And and. There, there are some silver linings around COVID, especially in the healthcare world. And I think COVID has really accelerated the technology around healthcare probably by 10 or 15 years. And I think it's also kind of showing the importance. You know, we, we, we went to telemedicine, we went to virtual, and, and that push is given, given even more importance of where we need to go. And it's all kind of pointing the direction that we've been talking about. So, there, there are some good things that came that, that came out of COVID, and we can st- we we continue to see just technology advancements like crazy, and a lot of money spent in there. So, yes, there's still a little pushback around this, but I feel like we're we're we're, we're getting there's more and more partners getting on board to, and they can see this vision, understand why it's so important for for taking care of patients the way they need to be taken care of. So let, let me, and, and again, so you're building the chain and you're allowing others to, to come on top of that in, in a true Web3 fashion and, and build the apps, build the, the, the docs around it. So, so theoretically, if I said, look, I, I love the LifeCraft idea, you know, I've got a you know, XYZ uh, app that I'm, I'm using and it allows me to import my, my Apple uh, you know, heart rate and, and all the kind of metrics from there. You, you guys are fine storing the data. It's, so it's, it really is one of those things where it's just, once I have an account, whatever, whatever fits into kind of what you said, you know, is allowed on that chain, 
you're you're cool. So a doctor who would never have asked for my my Apple Health, uh, you know, fitness levels or any of these other things that I may get from you know Lifetime. I took an Orange Theory class. Let's go ahead and dump the, you know, how I did on there the last ten right. times. Um, that you're saying all that can live in there and be relevant if I choose to to share it. Um, exactly. Okay. Exactly. It's all about control. And okay. so the, that data owner can control what data they want to put or what data they want to share and with whom. And so it's 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 t- and. So it's, it's completely customizable. It's, it goes down to the preference of each individual of, of how they want that data to be utilized. And that's putting the power back in the patient's hands. Yeah, which I mean, which is key because right now they have no power. Right. Um, their data is sold, given away, whatever it is. And if you want it, you, it even from a few, few minutes ago to a few years ago, I mean, you got to beg and plead and, and, and pay charges to get to it. Exactly. What, what's the, uh, talk to us through the monetization uh, strategy around this, you know, how, as, as the chain, you know, how, how are you being compensated by the app developers and the patients overall? So there's really two kind of primary fees and it's interesting, you know, let, let's talk, I'm going to just talk about, um, one other example of, of also kind of why it pushes this pricing model. So we have a lot of people coming to us that have, that have developed a solution on Ethereum and, and it and Ethereum has a great solution. Now, one of the challenges though, is, the gas fees and transaction fees are not predictable. As you know, if, if, if ETH goes up, then the transaction fees goes up. So a lot of these companies are, are getting really expensive transaction fees that they really can't forecast well because it's all fluctuates based on the ETH price. So we want to make our model really simple, predictable, and forecastable. So we have a base fee. And the base fee is really just for the, the, nodal, the, the nodal architecture, the storage, all the hardening, all the features that we built in, um, our SLA, our customer support, et cetera. And then what we do is we just, tar- we just charge a per life graph fee per month. And so if, if there's a thousand patients on there, it's a thousand times a handful of pennies. If there's a million, then they, they know depending on how many patients and, and data could come from multiple sources to create that life graph. So that one life graph could have data from a lab or provider or, and, and an omic an omic company, but we're charging for that one patient. Is it in the you know again? There's when you when you talk about labs and everything else. I mean, there's so many different files, so many different ways to to look at those files, and some of the data is massive and huge. How are, are you storing it on you know S3 or IPFS or you know what what's what's the storage protocols? So we have two things. Number one, um, so we run on top of traditional cloud providers. So we're, pr- we're primarily on AWS. We do Azure. We've tested Google Cloud, although we have no clients on there. And so because we're Neither storing data on chain, we have a size limitation. So we have a 10 megabyte file size. If it can okay. be parsed, we can, we can split over, blo- over blocks. But if we have like an image file, like an MRI, then we have um, blobs or binary large object storage that's like an S3. Exactly. Like it's still fully protected, fully encrypted, fully HIPAA compliant. But still, it can be queryable from um, from the chain and accessible via our blockchain. Fabulous. No, and 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 listen, most most of the NFTs that people are buying that they think are these permanent objects out there are just files on on an Amazon S three server, right. uh, as well as you know, I think sixty percent of all uh, Ethereum uh, nodes are also running on on, right. on AWS. So it's it's exactly. it, it really is running Web two and Web three. Um, Talk about, uh, I'd love to dive a little bit into security. I mean, the problem when you have something that is as permanent and as large as this, it becomes, you know, clearly a, a, a hacking attempt. Um, and, and, you know, wallets on, on Web3 are, are generally not that great yet. And, and you've got your own chain. So kind of how, how is access granted? What, what's the uh, protocol to get access? And what happens if you lose your key or whatever, whatever the case is? So, you know, we do everything through public and private key infrastructure. Um, we can convert that to a wallet. We've also got a wallet built on our platform just to match against the username and password because we don't want patients having to deal with a, with a public and private key um, down to that level. Um, and then, we, and then we, we can also support external authentication from our clients. So our, our, our clients are really running what authentication protocol they want to use. If they want to use MFA, I mean, we can support all that. Um, now, as far as security, you know, we follow NIST guidelines for all the security protocols. We're also, we, we do a SOC 2 type 2, which, which gives our, our HIPAA compliance. We're following all that. Um, we're also going down the road of getting FedRAMP certified, which is the, the federal contracting level. So, which is pretty much a high, I mean, one of the highest kind of security audits you can, you can pretty much do, at least in this country. Um, we should be completing that sometime this year. So, 
I mean, we take we take security very seriously, and and we've also got different art um, options that we're kind of building into the in the future of, of data sharding, data cloaking, and things like that, depending on on what our clients need. Because you're right, it is ultra secure, ultra sensitive data. So if somebody somebody you know loses their data, they they can go to you to or somewhere to get reauthenticated to, to get back yeah. access because that you know listen somebody who's maybe got memory issues. Right is uh you know you, you want to make sure that what um so you get you guys have reserved preserved kind of an admin feature to to regain access to these accounts even yeah though it is and that's actually through our clients that I mean, we we really we we really don't even have access to our clients' data we're okay. kind of like an AWS in that model so it's it's really about how our clients are building solutions of of how to kind of um, revoke or 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 regain access if something does get lost or. It, when you say users, is that from the app level or is that from yeah, the user whatever. level? It's, or it's our clients. So okay. it's, I mean, so our clients are, are, are really owning and controlling the, the data aspect of, our, of their solution. And they just do REST API calls into our platform for, for data access and, and queries. Love it. Talk to us about some of the, uh, the first use cases, some of the, uh, the beta testing you've done on here and, and some, some of the successes. And, and you know, there's, there's usually one or two failures in there. So, so run through kind of what was your surprises uh, as you kind of built out your theses. So it's one of, one of my favorite demos to give. It was actually our, one of our first commercial use cases. And it was a company called Empiric Health. Uh, they got bought by a company called Olive AI last year. And Empiric was a spinoff from Intermountain Health. Intermountain Health is a large provider network based out of Salt Lake City. And what Empiric's goal was now, Olive, is to look at surgical procedures within the hospital and try to really focus on cost savings by, by looking at two things, outcomes and the cost of the surgery. And, you know, a typical solutions prior to them would just look into the, the, the EMR, EHR records, electronic medical records, electronic health records, and get the information about the patient. Empiric wanted to do something very differently. and They wanted to tap databases within a provider network that touched that surgical procedure in any way, shape, or form. So in a typical scenario, they're, they're getting, I think, eight to 12 different databases that historically never talked to each other before. And whether it's HR, staffing, facilities, I mean, the list goes on and on. And in this case, they are building a life graph of a surgical surgical encounter. And so the system can, can drill down into ridiculous detail and look at exactly by provider, by, net, by hospital, by network of what each doctor is costing the hospital to do a certain procedure, whether it's a gallbladder removal or a knee implant, I mean, a knee replacement, and, and really focus on what's going on and to identify outliers. They may find, hey, this doctor's, their benchmark is, is two times where it should be. And they can go drill in and find out why that, why that one doctor is costing more. Are they, are their outcomes better? Are they patients more difficult? Or are they just doing supply or they're taking too long in the surgeries? So they can actually really drill in, and and so basically they they used our they used Burst IQ number one to kind of store the data on our HIPAA compliant platform, and then the whole sharing and governance, depending on who has access to what data, and then building a life graph. Then they wrote their 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 ML and AI layer to do kind of the natural language processing, that really deep patient connection. And in the first four years that Intermountain launched or started utilizing this service, they saved I, I believe it was eighty million dollars in surgical surgical costs purely by the, by using the, using this tool. So it was a great use case. Um, I mean, still love that demo. So that was really one of our first things. Now, really what I'm seeing a lot of today are, are kind of a couple of things. Number one, since, I mean, COVID has brought just a huge amount of technology, technological innovation in the healthcare world. So we have hundreds of, I mean, companies that are building applications or solutions for the healthcare world, whether it's a digital front door for patient access or new monitoring devices, or at-home testing. We're also seeing a lot of movement towards what we call edge diagnostics, where the diagnostics are being moved to, to the patient's home, to the edge level, so they can start doing more and more stuff at home, whether it's noscope for the ear or doing blood tests or saliva tests. Um, and then kind of on the enterprise side, we're seeing solutions, everything from um, provider credentialing right now, Provider credentialing is a, is a really broken system where every time a nurse or doctor joins a new provider, they have to re 
validate every one of their degrees, their privileges, and they have to go to the primary source to verify that. So on the blockchain, we can store and attest to that and valid, third-party verify that to do that once. And then we're also seeing kind of new kind of directions in healthcare. So one is, is value-based care. So instead of being reactive medicine, providers are paid a flat fee. Let's say someone who has diabetes, which can be very expensive to take care of year after year. They may say, hey, doc, provider, for this patient, we will give you $10,000 a year. This is the payer talking to provider. $10,000 a year to take care of this patient. If you do an amazing job and keep them out of the hospital and keep and if, and if you and if you spend less on that, you get to keep the extra. However, if you don't take good care of them and, and it costs them twenty, it costs twenty thousand dollars. That's coming out of your pocket. So it's really pushing power and incentivizing providers to do more reactive medicine versus, or sorry, proactive medicine versus reactive medicine. Um, it's a great model. And then. So in, so in that situation, there's, it's an all about data. It's like who has access, who can see what data, and there, there needs to be stories told on both sides to make sure each party is getting the relevant information to kind of enforce that practice. So we're seeing a lot push that. The other thing we're, 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 we're testing right now is called outcome-based contracting. And, and right now when pharmas launch a new drug, they put in the market and they get reimbursed at X dollars per, per therapeutic, no matter how well it works or not. So in, in the in the outcome-based contracting model, they're putting more onus on the on the pharmaceutical where they would get reimbursed based on efficacy of the drug versus just a flat rate. So if a drug does inc- incredibly well to solve the problem, they get paid more. If it gets to the market, it doesn't do well, they get paid less. So it's putting the burden, more of the burden back on the pharmacy to really develop drugs that are that, that are working versus versus not. So I mean it's a it's it's a big it's 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 kind of a wide gamut of things that we're seeing, but it's just it's all about Making our U.S. healthcare—I mean, even the world healthcare—better. I mean, the healthcare in the U.S., if you look metric-wise, is not good compared to a lot of the countries around the world as far as what it costs, how we're treated—I mean, how patients are treated—and so we're just we're trying to help that as much as we can. Just as a really strange question, <clears throat> wouldn't I mean? And the U.S. is so fragmented from you know state to state, city to city, county to county. Like, I mean, there's there's so many laws navigating. Why would you not start at somewhere like Canada where it's, you know, universal healthcare, everyone's on the same systems, everyone's got the payer, or are they just not interested because they don't care? You know, you know, it's a great question. And, and, you know, I would say, so right now, if you look at the adoption curve of blockchain and healthcare, we're still kind of in that early adopter phase. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's bleeding thinking about edge. it. Bleeding edge. I mean, You're we're super early. It's bleeding edge. And so... We are going right now to where we feel is like the lowest hanging fruit in our connections. And, and yes, I think there will be a place there. I mean, I think, you know, there are, I mean, we're, we're, now granted, we're, we're already like in 13 countries right now. We're still broadening, broadening our footprint um, geographically or around the world. But if you just look at the U.S., there are so many problems, so many things that could be fixed. I mean, honestly, our opportunities are endless just in our backyard, and that's where we're focusing most of our efforts on. Fabulous. And and what's been you know so in in the like let's just you know Rob wins Burst IQ is is you know owns ninety percent of the market here in the United States. Can you scale that fast? Like you know block, blockchain and these nodes are, are you know we we've seen what happens with Ethereum when it scales it starts to you know slow down get more expensive and break you know what what is the total amount of data that that the U.S. is even pushing in in healthcare it's got to be you know petabytes yeah oh it's I mean yeah I don't even know what's after petabytes to be honest um, <laughs> Num- numbers question. that will break my calculator yeah exactly it would probably be on petabytes yeah I mean so the nice thing is so. You know, we built ours to handle big data. We built our platform to handle big data. So we're used to really big data sets. And because we're running on AWS or Azure infrastructure, it allows us to scale as we need. So we, you know, we're, we're, we're monitoring our network 24 by 7. And, and if we see any kind of performance degradation, we can near real time either, either at, um, add to the nodal network either horizontally by adding more nodes to the network or, or, or vertically by adding more processing power to the actual node. So, you know, we've not hit a problem yet. I mean, yes, if, I mean, could anybody handle all the, all the healthcare data in the country? It's a good question. Um, but if anybody could do it, having a backbone like AWS or, or the others is, is really, would be the only way to achieve that. I mean, we, we purposely 
kind of gave a kind of consensus protocol and developed our system where we don't feel like there's a scalability limitation based on on what we do on the nodes. Fabulous. What's been some of the, you know, earliest par- sectors, I guess, of the healthcare that have adopted this and been like, yep, perfect. This, this, there was no solution. Was, has there been any adoption greater or less than, uh, than others? So I would say, you know, the, the, the health tech and the whole innovation are the number one. Um, providers are slow and, and then COVID, of course, hit them over the past, is it almost, what, I guess, is it three years now? Um, and so providers were like, did, they just took a step back. Um, the federal government, ironically enough, has been doing a lot of dabbling in blockchain and, and healthcare. And we're starting to see some things kind of fire on more cylinders with them, which is, which is phenomenal. We've had some pretty good success and continue to, to, to see that. So, you know, I would say kind of, yeah, the, those kind of the tech developers and, and government have kind of been the, the two kind of early, the, the earliest adopters. And, and I, I, I'm, I, even if I say that, it's still kind of a little surprising to me when I say <laughs> the government, but they've actually done a really good job. Everything from. Yeah. Anything to get it off their plate. Great deal. You, you can check all these boxes. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny, you know, I've, in the first kind of year I, I was here as a company, you know, we didn't want to use the word blockchain because it scared everybody away, especially the healthcare industry, because they, they couldn't, they didn't under, understand the bifurcation between blockchain and, and cryptocurrency. So they just thought we were a crypto shop. Um, and, and that was not a good message for the healthcare world. But now I feel like nine times out of 10, people are understanding the, the difference between the underlying infrastructure and, and what it can produce. You know, it, you you talked a little bit about kind of the the adoption of this and, and the use cases um, from from a user's perspective. You know, how many how many like people are actively on the chain today, or, or what's the what's the status of the chain? I guess. So we've got um, hundreds of clients on the chain. Once again, I think we're our count latest count is thirteen countries, and it really ranges from. So so it already went international. Like even though you were designing yes. it for this, it, it instantly Correct. you don't care where they are. Yeah. And the, and the nice thing is, you know, because we can handle like a local compliance, and local governance, like for instance, in Australia, um, healthcare data has to reside within the country. So we cannot have Australian healthcare data residing in AWS in the US. But because of our, our backend with AWS, we can just deploy nodes in, in Australia and then deploy the, the, the data in those nodes only to, to, to suffice their compliance. So it's really easy for us to, to scale globally. And most of them have come to us just hearing about what we're doing. Um, UK is another big market that we're, we're trying to get some really good penetration into. Yeah, you know, one of the, and again, I, I really applaud you know what you guys are doing because it's it's very much a web two point five approach. But there's not a chance that that healthcare or most of these government agencies are just going to go. You know what? Total decentralized, no central authority. Like like it's a dream that that may may happen at some point. I don't know when, and I can't do this. Um, you know, my crystal ball never works. But you know, the, the fact that you guys have you know the ability to to granularly like that say this data is on chain but can only be in these nodes like look there's there's some ethereum people screaming right now at the even the thought of that um but but the reality is it's either that or it's nothing like it's just you can't use the technology and i i believe 100 percent with what you guys are doing that it's better to have it at least on chain accessible by multiple sources than this hospital owns it in their servers this doctor has it in his servers and then you're trying to you know coordinate in dropbox and a bunch of other apps that don't speak to each other so um you know to me that the the thought of you know ai (laughs) digging around in there for myself would actually be something I'd like. You know, here's here's my Dropbox folder of all the health results I've got. Put it on chain and you know, make sure other doctors know know about this. I mean, I think right. there's a lot a lot to be said for that. Nope, you got it. That's exactly our philosophy. What is, what is the um, you know talk about your roadmap? You know where you're at today and kind of a, a couple of the next big hurdles you guys are are seeing coming down the pipe. Yeah, so you know we completed Series A uh, back in September of nineteen, which which was great, and we're actually and profitably for the Series A, and and it's really um, getting to that either bleeding edge or to, to to really more mass adopt. I mean, to getting that that kind of next next factor, and and for really to understand the differences of all the blockchain protocols out there. I and mean, I think a lot of the time people hear blockchain, they think every blockchain is the same. Um, and it's that's so far from the truth. And and 
And depending on your need, you know, Ethereum might be the right choice for you. It might be a hyperledger. It could be Burst IQ. And for really to for to understand for for our clients and the, and the population to start understanding exactly what they need and what they're able to do to help point them in the right direction of, of what platform that is kind of the best fit for them is kind of kind of our next big kind of information or kind of thought leadership piece where we're trying to work on and it's and we want that to be knowledgeable on everything. I mean, um, we, we I mean we, we feel like you know a rising tide rises all or whatever the saying goes brings up all ships and and. We can even work with other layer one protocols. We can run on top of it and add some of the functionality. And so we just we want to we want to play along. We want to we want to cooperate. And because I mean, the, the world's going to new places that none of us really fully understand. Especially when you're talking like the metaverse and 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 full web 3.0, which I still I'm still struggling with some of the aspects around that. I was yeah I was on a YPO presentation around that. Uh, a few weeks ago, and I just, there's some there's there's some absolutely crazy things going on there. I love watching it. I just I, I'm not willing to put my money into the meta that I mean, buying real estate in the metaverse quite yet. But I, I, I'm intrigued. It, it's a little early, um, and, and for the you know the metaverse side of it, just the same way as you know most of these hospitals aren't going to be you know dumping all their data on there yet. So I, 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 I still think the technology needs to mature a little bit, as well as really the the regulation around it. You know, one of the things that you know I want to make I want to clarify for Burst IQ. The reason why it's very beneficial to be on a blockchain and to, and that's why I asked so many questions about custody and access is hacks happen. It's, it's unavoidable. It's going to happen. And, and by being on blockchain and having everything partitioned, a hack will be localized, correct me if I'm wrong, to a, a single user. So if someone's user account gets, gets exposed or has a problem, it's not the entire server. And we've seen that time and time again. We saw the, the IRS. We saw, um, multiple really, you know, really big healthcare providers and everything else. When the, when the system gets opened on a, on a web two, you know, SaaS provider or even, even web one, if they're self hosting, you know, it, it's not just exposing a single client. It's exposing the entire database. Right. And that's, and that's one of the core features that, that you've solved, correct? Exactly. Okay. I was right. See, I can never know. Every now and then I can, every now and then I can, I can come to the, the, uh, around the circle and, and get some understanding here. So, you know, um, Rob, as, as you've gone through this and, you know, you've been at this now for a, a couple of years and congratulations on, on the series A and, and the fact that you're, you're, you know, rolling through, uh, you know, some, some really interesting regulation times in, in blockchain and cryptocurrencies. What is in your, you know, kind of in your mind, the next hurdle that the entire industry needs to face for, you know, face and, and overcome to get a mass adoption of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology overall? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm living and breathing the healthcare world, so I'm going to probably be a little bit biased and skewed towards totally that. Fine. But we need, for this to really happen, we need better federal regulations, and I'm focusing on the U.S. as well. Um, to really start pushing this in the right direction. And, you know, you know, CMS has done, has taken some steps forward around this. And, but once again, they're just everything that comes out of the feds right now on healthcare is, is one piece of it where I think we just need a more holistic approach of where the future of healthcare needs to go. And I think they all know where that needs to go and, and really put some, some action and force behind that. I mean, that's the only way to just going to get payers to do what they need to do and providers to do what they, they need to do to really make this a truly cooperative, I mean, cooperative system. And I mean, there's only so much we can do in the private sector and, and everybody's pushing really hard up from the private sector and, and they're seeing that. But I think to really make that, that, that game changer, um, and they, they, they keep on trying. It's just nothing really comes to effect. And, and we see, you know, we're seeing acts that come out that are steps toward that, the, the CARES Act and the Portability Act and, and everything else. But there really needs to be that vision from, from the top that gets pushed down to really, I think, make this happen the way it needs to happen. So, Rob, if I if I wanted to just like me myself, I wanted to download an app and just start loading my open an account and start loading my data on there. Is that something I can do? Yeah, it's really easy. I mean, literally, it takes. I mean, we can provision an account in, in minutes, and and your app would just do rest calls into our back end, and and literally, you could learn. I mean, I mean, a developer can learn our platform and. Depending on fifteen, I would say fifteen to, to sixty minutes, and and it's really easy just to plug and play. And then depending on what features and functionality, some are just super easy to plug into. Others, I mean, we do have full documentation and APIs written to facilitate kind of most of what we see. Um, but we've literally had companies that have we've had one or two calls with our CTO. 
their plugin we've never heard from again. They're just using our using our back end. And then we've had other companies that, you know, we don't have any developers on staff where you build our application for us. So absolutely, so we've done that. We build the application, um, someone we keep, and then others like, okay, we've actually we've actually built our staff now, and then they take over the application and continue development, still using our back end. So it really it's it really runs the gamut of 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 how our clients work with us and what they need. So is there, is, there a, uh, is there an app on the App Store, Android or iOS, that I could just download today and, and, and use? There's not, not. I mean, it's, 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 like, it's like getting an account in AWS. It would be okay. that kind of similar kind of process. Okay. So, so it's, it's still, again, we're, we're bleeding edge. We're still early. It hasn't hit that consumer adoption. So we're still in, in medical. There's still some, some things around there. No, and, and again, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I just want to make sure there wasn't anything I was supposed to be testing here yep, now to, to get this on there. What is... Um, you know, as as I kind of look through, you know, the the deck that you have and everything here, you you kind of really talk a little bit about artificial intelligence and machine machine learning. How do you think that's going to, you know, for someone like like myself and my family, if we just take all of our medical you know history as well as our family's medical history, we talked about twenty three and Me earlier, and load that all into a database. What what could I possibly learn from all that with with AI uh, in the future? You know, I, I truly feel we've only just started scratching the surface on where where AI can go. You know, we're seeing today. We're seeing use cases of using AI for like, like natural language processing and, and some simpler things. We're also seeing more and more kind of image analysis utilizing AI and, and we're finding that it's, it's as reliable as human and sometimes even better. Whether it's using AI for colonoscopy or, or reviewing CAT scans or x-rays or MRIs. But what, the, the, what you just described is the future where an AI engine can look at your whole Healthcare and, and and it's so important to bring in omic data, which is the other place that we've just just barely scratched the surface of where that can go. To really start doing more proactive care, it's like, hey, this person, you know, you've you've got a, a predominance or a likelihood to get this. We should probably be treating it now. It's you know, we, in the U.S., we're very we're a very reactive medicine based company. I mean, country. Um, somebody's sick, they go to the doctor, they break a leg. Where we don't do a good uh, do a good job of it. it's like let, let's do a full panel let's do an omic screen and let's start watching for this this and this so you don't so so prevents it or let's do screening for for diabetes as an infant just to see if you've got a like if a chance of that so using that AI engine to really look more holistically at the entire health record I totally believe is the wave of the future for just better um, better preventive care and more holistic care for each patient love it love it and excited for that future. Um, you know, Rob, you're, you're in the business. You're talking blockchain, Web three constantly. What, what's uh, what's anything else you've seen around that's got you excited? Whether it's something that integrates or, or ties in with the Burst IQ, or or you know, you're just kind of a a bored ape or crypto punk kind of guy that you've you've seen some NFTs floating around. You want in your wallet? What's 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 got you excited in Web three this week? You know, so you know, I, I'm I'm liking the NFT world. We're exploring some different use cases, and and I think there are actually some really good applications um, out there for for NFTs in the real world and government. And and you know, we've seen everything from kind of uh, animals and tracking animals from disease to, to to birth from 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 supply chain, and and you know, there's talk about NFTs and kind of the, the whole carbon credit world. And so there's, there's some really cool things in there that, that, that are starting to kind of get my juices flowing versus some of the craziness that that's happened over the past year that is still unfathomable to me that's happened in the NFT world. So we're, I think hopefully we're getting, I mean, everything is always crazy in the beginning, the wild west, but I'm seeing some really cool use cases fall out of, of NFTs. And, and then the whole web through, then the whole metaverse, as we talked about earlier, you know, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and watch and enjoy the show. And I still don't know where that's going to end up. I mean, however, my nine year, my, my nine year old daughter is living and breathing that right now in Roblox. And so I could, I mean, she would be a, a hundred percent candidate for a, a true blown metaverse and going to concert with her friends and shopping at Gucci for, for her, for avatar. I, I still have a hard time putting my head around all that, but I'm seeing the younger generations and I can't, I mean, so I, I'm, I'm open to it. So I'm open to it, but 
I got a lot of questions around it. Yeah, I, I feel like the metaverse plays and a lot of these things right now are very like CompuServe. Like it's so early that they're saying, here's the technology, it does work. Are they making money? Absolutely. Is it a valid business model? A hundred percent. But is is it really going to be what's going to you know drive the adoption in the future? Um, I, you know, I, I've my, my child, my fourteen year old again. I always I'm like, if it's something valid, let's go ahead and send him and look at it. And after uh, you know three hours in Decentraland, he Decentraland, he came back and said, please don't ever make me do that again. <laughs> and you know, it's like okay, it's fine. Like so, it's just it's just not this yet. But but clearly, there's something there. Clearly, uh, it, it's coming. And and you know, more importantly. Um, you know, Rob, I, I thank you and your company for for promoting blockchain, especially in an industry that that doesn't really understand it. And um, you know, we've seen horrible implementations, horrible implementations of, of the technology in, in various sectors like this. Um, and listening to what you guys have done, it really sounds like you're coming at it from a very you know forward thinking, you know, responsible approach that you understand like decentralizes it is a you know that that's the goal. We're not there yet, and it's going to take some time for the technology to catch up. So you're utilizing valid use cases, Azure and, and, and S3, to make this happen right now. And um, I, I'm just excited to kind of watch the project over the next few years and, and see how it grows and adopts. And one day when you do have a consumer consumer app, I'd love to go ahead and open my account and start Perfect. getting some things in there because my code's a little rusty. And Oh, by the way, <laughs> what, what, code, what language is it coded in? Um... It's different. I mean, it's, uh, um, that's, you know, I'm not sure what I can say under NDA or not, to be honest. Oh, um, we're good. No, yeah, this is not, yeah, NDA, this, none of this, yeah. this is all public. Please don't. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you can't yes. NDA uh, the pu- uh, public audience. Yes, exactly. So fabulous. But that's, that's fabulous. It's awesome. Uh, Rob, how can uh, people learn more or, or get a hold of you if they want to, uh, you know, go ahead and, and integrate with your service? Yeah, so it's burstiq.com, B-U-R-S-T-I-Q.com. Um, anybody can reach out to me directly as well. So it's, um, rob.lubeck, L-U-B-E-C-K at burstiq.com. And you can call me too. My cell phone is 303-903-9600. I don't care. I use old-fashioned technology too. It Thank, works. That's awesome. Uh, Rob, thank you so much. Uh, Y-Wills, there, there you go. Uh, a little bit of alpha for you on what's coming down the, the pipes and, and healthcare uh, around Web3. Web and again, just the reporting and everything around it. So Rob, thank you so much. Y-Wills, catch you next Thank time. you. YWales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by TruthWork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.